Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, September 4th, 2017, and we are reading from the big book. We are on page 91, the fourth paragraph at the bottom of the page. Today's readers are Sherry K.B. on the 12 Steps, Lindsay B. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Amanda R. and Ginger R. Gina R., I'm sorry. The reference number for yesterday's Sunday special edition uh, is 10,386. And the reference number for this morning, 7 a.m. meeting on Monday, September 4th, is 10,387. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sherry KB to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. Sherry KB in Northern California, grateful recovered compulsive reader. Um, the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me be of service. Thank you, Sherry KB. I will now ask Lindsay B. to read the Twelve Traditions. Yes, uh, good morning, fellow visioners. This is Lindsay B., um, from also over Eater from uh, New Hampshire. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, 
or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise that problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for this opportunity, I pass. Thank you, Lindsay B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that the, your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 91, the fourth paragraph. We will read two paragraphs and comment on both. <clears throat> and I will ask Amanda R. to get us started. Good morning. This is Amanda R. Recovered in Maine. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, Commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he is not too alcoholic. But insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. So that's where the reading ends. Um, what jumps out at me as I read this, um, first of all, is, is to give my own personal experience. When I'm talking with somebody, tell them my own experiences with this disease, my crazy binges, um, the just the <laughs> strange things I did around food. Um, that I finally learned I was sick. Thank goodness the first OA meeting I, I went to, I ever went to, uh, they explained the nature of the problem very clearly. And it was just like this light bulb going on over my head. Um, but I think uh, 
you know, some of my sponsees will be out there nodding their heads at this. I can easily go into talking about theory and about principles and this and the other thing. But I have to remember, bring it back to my own experience, because I think that's what reaches people. I can listen to lectures about the theory of addiction all day long and honestly forget most of it. But if I hear someone's story, there's something about it that really pulls me in and, I don't know, makes me feel like talking, telling my own story back. And that's often what happens. We just end up telling these, trading these crazy stories of, of how we've eaten and, and often like laughing about it because it's, it's so crazy. And I don't think I'd laugh if there weren't a way out. Um, and then, of course, part of this talk that we're, we're giving to this new person who's interested in working the steps or just interested in the program is to show him the mental twist that leads to the first drink of a spree. And the next um, paragraph where it says, show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of willpower. And I don't have time to tell a whole long story at this point, but I mean, I first got abstinent. I was about a month in and I took my, well, he's about five years old, my son and a couple friends out to uh, lunch or something. And, and I ate, uh, my son, he, he got like this little ice cream sundae. He left half of it. He's not a compulsive overeater. I, of course, the, the mental blank spot that, that came through into my, my, my own mind was, I paid for this. Therefore, I can't let it go to waste. I have to eat it. So I did eat it. I broke my abstinence and I felt awful. And I just like, it made no sense for me to eat it. And yet I did. Um, and that's what the mental twist is. It makes no sense, but we do it anyway. And, um, you know, that's, that's about all I have to say for now. I, I think I'll pass. Thank you, Amanda R. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Anybody want to share on what was just read? Gina R. Gina R. Ginger C. Ginger C. Anyone else? Okay, we'll start with those two. Ginger R. Gina, I'm sorry. Gina R., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. This is Gina R., gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body in Green Valley, Arizona. And um, I'll be happy to be mixed up with Ginger C. anytime. Totally cool with me. Um, oh, my goodness. I just actually had the experience this morning of going through the doctor's opinion with somebody and um, for whom they've never seen the big book before. And I am seeing before my very eyes what the process looks like for somebody when they realize that they have the physical allergy and the mental obsession. And the way they have outlined this, how it works, yeah, I just relayed a couple of um, stories and this person was quick to chime in with some of their own. And it, it's just amazing um, that process of identifying in instead of seeing ourselves as separate. Um, what I'm remembering right now and being grateful for is I haven't had the occasion to um, do what I would call my quick fix drive-in, drive-through. The fact that I, my car is not somehow magically driving itself to a fast food joint is a miracle. Um, I can remember being behind the wheel of my car and feeling like I was having an out-of-body experience. I did not know how that car was going to the drive-through. I did not want to go there. 
but it was going there anyway. And I would end up ordering something and then eating it in the car. And so now I know for me that it's not just what I eat, but it's how I eat it and what I do when I eat it. It's my behaviors around it. Um, I guess those are escapades. I, I am so grateful, so grateful for this program and the continuing revelation and revolution that it is through my higher power doing for me so that I can carry the message to others. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Gina R. Ginger C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And good morning to all, especially, especially to the newcomer um, who may be on, on the line this morning. <clears throat> you know, I love these pages and there's another part in the book that says, when we share a story, we share what it was like. And that's where we begin is what it was like. And that's what these pages now are telling me. Tell them what it was like. Remind them of the hell of this disease and what happens to me when I take that first bite. You know, explain that I have an allergy. When I put it in, it always takes me out. And it's really bad where it goes because with any addiction, it only progresses. And it will only get worse over time, never better. But it's so important, this identification. You know, they're not going to, they need their heads to be nodding. Yeah, you get me. You understand me. You know exactly the torment and the nightmare that I'm in right now. And then they get to see that you're out of it. Holy moly, like how did that happen? I thought I'd be die. I'd go to my death eating. I never thought I could stop. And that's part of our, our disease. Once I start, I don't stop. You know, I sat in OA rooms with these meetings, and it would drive me insane because these people would come in and they'd say, well, I binged last night, but I'm here today. I don't know what kind of eater you are, but when I binge last night, I'm gone. I've let those red light alcoholic foods into my mouth, and I don't come back the next morning to tell you about it. I'm eating, and I can't stop. And now I'm going into hell because I want to stop and I can't. And how it progresses, you know, I didn't get severely overweight. I almost hit 200 pounds. But boy, the, the mental pain in my mind. And then I want to kill myself. That's where I go when I eat sugar. I get suicidally depressed. I'm going for a car ride and it's never meaning to leave the garage. So this is a serious disease. It's a slow suicide. But you know, the gift is, if we're recovered, we hold a light today for those that are in the darkness that see no way out. But I got to tell them what it was like. They got to identify in. They got to know that I know what that I'm talking about. And that again, there is a way out of this madness. It's all through the loving hand of God. But with that power and when we get to tap into it, and it started for me with the most desperate prayer, God help me because I knew I was in big trouble. But thank God for that pain and those desperate bites and everything I had to do because I conceded finally to my innermost self that this was real and I had it and I needed help. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Can you remind us the page number? Sure. It's the bottom of page 91 the very last paragraph, when he sees you know all about the drinking game. And we read two paragraphs through to the middle of the page uh, where it says, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Is there anyone who wants to share? This is Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia F., one minute. Anybody else? Paula D. Paula D. Anyone else? Terry KB. Stacy K. Stacy KB and Stacy K. Okay, let's stop there. Please go ahead, Sylvia F. Okay, I realized I need to get my timer. This is Sylvia F. Recovered in um, in California. 
and let me set my timer. I'm sorry. It's so quiet on the line uh, this morning. Um, so this, these sentences, um, you know, when I first when I first got uh, abstinent and I started to lose weight, I wasn't recovered yet, but I was uh, certainly evangelical. Uh, I wanted everyone to see that I had a solution and. I think that probably, you know, I don't I don't even know all the damage that I did because I wasn't um I wasn't giving opportunity to identify in with me with the disease. I was telling them what my solution was, which was not the solution of the big book. And um and so this gives us a, a chance to say, Yeah, I have this thing and do you have it too? And I use a lot of when I when I'm working with people on the lines too I use a lot of personal experiences and I use it not because I'm trying to talk about myself but because I'm trying to use my experience as a uh, a handout so that people can say yeah I have that too and not be afraid to self-identify it's uh, so different than than where I started and um and then it says, don't at this stage refer to this book. And yet there's other places where it says, you know, this book, you know, leave a copy around or give them a book. Or So I think it's nuanced. Um, and I had an experience of, uh, I actually, my husband and I ended up staying with someone who was an alcoholic, a practicing alcoholic. I, I didn't know it before we moved in. And I... Uh, it was such a trigger for me. I was going to have to leave. And so um, I kept on, you know, reading over, <clears throat> working with others and talking to my sponsor and trying not to get triggered. I had to really work my program. And every time uh, she would talk about the hopelessness of her life or something, there would be an entree, I could talk a little bit about what I had learned in the big book that had saved my life and I and so and and I had left a book uh around she knew that there was a book there and um after uh many many weeks of this and very very challenging and struggling for me one night um she couldn't go to sleep and finally decided to pick up the big book and read it and that was her first day of um uh, recovery and sobriety, and I could see that this book works. I had to keep on extending my experience and not direct and not preach, and just make it available. and um, And I could watch that work. And it was it's the same for food as for alcohol in my experience. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia F. Paula D. Please go ahead. And thank you. This would be Paula D. Uh, recovered currently in the state of New Hampshire by and with the grace of God. You know, as I read this, uh, and my timer too, and thank you for that little notification there, is on also. You know, it, it says here, and I, I want to, I wanna, as we look at this paragraph, you know, it says the hopeless feature of the ma- malady. Well, gee, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about being hopeless. But until you realize that you are hopeless, you will not call out for help. And I have three prayers. And the first one is help. That's a huge prayer, help. Second one is thanks. Even if I didn't feel thankful, I was thankful. You know what I'm talking about? That's what it's saying here. Thanks. The other one is, wow, you care enough to read a book with me? To come alongside me? You know, we have another phrase that I love, if the tables were turned, and we see here, and it says here, be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusions. Is this not wonderful? Don't tell him. It won't matter. You can explain to him. You can tell him about your experience. But once he starts, oh, oh, I see that. His own conclusion. He has to conclude that that is what he is. And I love the end, but insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Oh, it seems like we went back to hopeless. 
But see, then, only then, with the hopeless, you seek out the help. So see, to be hopeless in this in this place is a good thing. i got to tell you, I love, love this paragraph. Because this is always, to me, a beginning. A beginning. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a beginning here. And we see it here as he sits there drawing his own conclusions. And thank you for allowing me this time to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Sherry KB, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. Sherry KB in Northern California. Grateful recovered compulsive reader, and thank you for your service, and happy Monday to everybody. Um, so what jumped out at me, it says that he sees you now know all about his all about the drinking game and describe and so now I commence to describe myself as a compulsive reader. And so, you know, I'm identifying in. I'm trying to tell the the person, you know, what it was like for me, what I did, why I realized that, you know, I have a disease. And I don't mention the 12 steps. I don't mention the book. I just talk about my own experience and my own story. And one of the things that has helped me a lot is I will say, the first thing I usually say is, I don't know about you, but this is what I did. Um, because I'm never supposed to, to me, tell that person, brand them as a compulsive reader. I only stay, stay on my side of the street. I tell my story. Um, I remember I was at a place and uh, for several days with some people, a group of people, and this person obviously was noticing that I wasn't eating certain foods and everything. And, w- and between half the time I was there, came up to me and said, you know, I notice you don't eat desserts. I notice that you don't eat this, you don't eat that. And that was an opening for me. And, you know, I, I told them that, you know, I was a compulsive reader, that I had a disease and that I couldn't stop from starting. You know, I didn't know when, the if I began, when it would end. And um, And I just went into a story. And they started going, you know, I had that same thing too. And, you know, they just it, it just was like ease. It just eased on in. And I think that's the best way for me to do something like that, to carry this message. And um, and just that, you know, reminding me that I can always read on the chapter of alcoholism, about more alcoholism, and it identifies what the, you know, the, the true uh, compulsive reader is. And that way I can definitely tell the other person not only just my own story so they can identify in, but just to identify the differences. Um, And that just the hopelessness that I had until I started, you know, um, realizing that it was an illness um, because I didn't want to admit it was an illness for me and that I just, how hopeless I had gotten to, and then I I found a solution. And... um, and that's what I tell them. I found a solution. Um, and I just let them start asking me questions. What do you mean you found a solution? What What is that? You know, and so then I just kind of open it up. And that, to me, is the best way to proceed um, without preaching from a mountaintop or, you know, um, any criticism or, or judging, any of that. Because I know that if somebody started telling me what to do, I'd run out the door as quickly as possible. That I passed. Thanks. Thank you, Sherry KB. Uh, let's see, Stacy K. Please go ahead. Are you there, Stacy? Press star one. Hello. Yes, this is Stacy K. in Colorado, compulsive overeater. Sorry, I was getting my stars and my ones backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good morning, everybody. I love, love, love the directions in the in this book, and um, you know because a, a lot of times when when I'm approached now, people have been around the block several times, so they might um, know a lot, right? They might know a lot already about the book, about this disease. But what I like is 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 how. Um, when someone does approach me or when I do talk to somebody that um, has asked me perhaps to sponsor them or, or to, to help them in some fashion, you know, I meet them in a meeting or something. Um, I just like to have, you know, like just start that general conversation and find out. And it's, it, it really 
is pretty natural for me. You know, like after doing this a while, you know, we get to just, you know, I get to ask them, how are you doing? What brought you here? What's going on? You know, like that kind of conversation. And, and then they will, you know, most people that I work with, it's really easy. They'll start telling you, you know, telling you stories. And all I get to, I get to be the nodder. <laughs> you know, it seems like more often than not, like I get to nod and I say, yeah, me too. I did that. Or, you know, have you done this one before? You know, that sort of thing. And we get to, you know, it's kind of like together where we, we just are identifying with each other. Um, more often than not, that that's what happens. I, 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 very few people are brand new, <laughs> um, it seems to me. But anyway, um, yeah, and then, you know, I get to, once I find out, because I want to make sure that they're really, you know, a real compulsive overeater, not just, a, um, you know, a hard eater or coming to look for a diet or whatever. And we find out very quickly, right? Find out very quickly if... They're just looking for the diet or the um, the quick fix, and so um, you know when I give him this, uh, 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 an old friend of mine, he he um, he was amazing, but he used to talk about giving um, them a killer case, you know, to help them understand that this is a disease and that it will kill you, you know, it, and that it is progressive and all those things, and we do that by sharing our experience about what happened and what it was like. So, um, yeah, love, love, love um, the directions, love, love hearing um, folks' experience, strength, and hope. So that's all I have. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Stacey Kay. Okay, we have uh, openings for... More speakers. Who would like to share? Joanne L. Joanne L. Allison L. Allison L. Rochelle. I'm sorry? My name's Rochelle P. Rochelle P. Anybody else? Okay, um, I think I'll take a turn if there's time. Kathy Kay, anybody else? All right, Joanne L., please go ahead. Good morning. Um, my name is Joanne L. Uh, in New Jersey, um, working again towards recovery, um, towards being recovered Um a recovered over compulsive overeater, um, and I say working towards being recovered again because of the insidiousness of this disease. I find when I'm working with a new person, um, one of the first things is that I hear what I hear um, them say is it's important for them to tell their story. And um, it's really important for me to realize up to a certain extent that I need to listen, 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 yes, to um, gain um, familiarity to them and their issue, um, but also it's very important for them to, to feel that they're validated and heard. And after that, um, if they call back, um, I will share my experiences, and my experiences, I'm a very slow learner. I've been a compulsive overeater all my life because that's how we always ate in my um, family of origin, and so, you know, that was, that was the way it was, and I never realized it was unusual, except that I was way, way, way over a goal level. And um, because that was my life, and, I, and that was the way it was, um, even after five years of black and white OA um, abstinence, 
after a year of caring for my son post-brain surgery, the day he was released from care, I found my hand in the freezer. I was totally unaware of any pre-thinking. And that says to me just this morning, listening to all of you, that that's how deep and how strong and how insidious this disease is. And that's a story I need to share with a newcomer because I didn't think it it was going to come. I didn't see it was going to come. There was no conscious inkling, but subconsciously somewhere, this disease dug itself into my being. And that led to a four-year relapse to take me at 5'1", over 200 pounds. Um, the, the insidiousness of this, of this disease, the strength of the disease, the importance of sharing where I had come from and I didn't even know it, um, is important for me to get across to a newcomer. And I take her through the book starting at the beginning, and, and we discuss it. And then I hope that, it, that at something will click. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Joanne L. Allison L., please go ahead. Thank you. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Uh, what I wanted to share today was that um, as I become more open with people even outside of the rooms in my uh, circle of family and friends about uh, my program and about what, um, you know, uh, how I live my life and why, you know, they have questions about why I eat the way I do or don't. And so as I become more open, I occasionally have people outside of the rooms come to me and, and say, you know, I'm overweight. I can't seem to lose weight. You know, can you tell me how you knew that um, Overeaters Anonymous was for you, that you needed the 12 steps. And so I will, I'm, I'm open, I'll share with them, you know, about when I eat certain things, certain foods or ingredients or engage in certain eating behaviors, I can't stop. And um, I share with them that even if I manage to stop for a little bit, um, my, my feelings um, and life become so overwhelming and I'm in so much pain that the only thing, you know, my mind tells me the only thing that will, will help is to eat those same foods that I know I won't be able to stop eating. I tell them about these things. And most of the time I get, um, if, if there are people outside of the rooms, I, I get a look back that says, I don't understand that. That's not me. Um, and I can't let that detour me from sharing these things with people um, who, who come to me and ask um, because for every person that may not understand or may not be a compulsive overeater, um, what really matters is that I be willing to keep sharing it so that when somebody gives me that look of, yes, finally, somebody somebody understands what I'm going through, somebody knows the pain, um, and that for them to know they're not alone, that's, that's what it's about. So I just wanted to share today that um, I don't always get that nod of, yes, me too. Sometimes it is a nod of, nope, that's not me. I just need a better diet or food plan. Um, that's okay. Um, they know where to find me, and I keep uh, sharing the message um, as God guides and when, when people approach me and ask about it. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Allison L. Rochelle P., please go ahead. Are you there, Rochelle? Press star one to unmute. Sorry, I thought I had done that. Can you hear me now? I can. Thank you, Rochelle. I'm sorry. This is Rochelle P. from Connecticut, a compulsive overeater. And um, I'm abstinent one day at a time. And, uh, you know, I definitely do identify as a compulsive overeater. And I, I, realize that I have to change the way I do my whole life. Um, like, basically, I was deprived of food when I was growing up because my mother was mentally ill. So when I got married, I started cooking up a storm, getting all these cookbooks, and I was getting 10 pounds every year for a long time. So anyway, I changed my whole life, banned myself from the Food Network, 
get rid of all those cookbooks. Um, I just had to change everything. I had to change the way I cook. You know, I can just broil fish. I don't, I don't have to put creamy sauces on it. So, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for all of you. I'm looking forward to the convention. I haven't met a lot of you, so thank you for listening. Thank you, Rochelle P. And um, this is Kathy Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. And, you know, I really have appreciated everyone's shares today because they reinforce my inclination, which is um, to share my story whenever the opportunity arises while I'm working with someone and before I start working with someone. You know, for a while I thought that um, I wouldn't be as an effective sponsor as someone who had an impressive weight loss because I did not have an impressive weight loss. I did not have a lot of weight to lose, but I was killing myself with food because I'm a type 1 diabetic, and I couldn't stop after the first bite of sugar or flour. And so, really, this program and my recovery have saved my life. So, um, what I tend to emphasize when I first talk to someone, if they are interested is the spiritual malady or the mental twist. Um, Because for me, um, the transformation that has come about in how I think and process my experiences in the world is just as dramatic as a dramatic weight loss. And um, I am able to um, really emphasize the twofold nature of our disease. I also am quite aware that um, how important it is to listen first um, to uh, what the person I'm talking with, what they highlight in their story, because that gives me a way to temper my own sharing Uh, to be maximally useful to them. So this is really uh, an amazing step, and what the guidance we're being given in these pages is truly uh, very, very helpful. I'm so glad we're studying them today. And with that, I pass. Can I share? Yes, who's that, Matt? Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. No, that's good. Okay, Matt, let me just check and see if anyone else is wanting to share. Anybody else want to share? We have time for a couple more. Hi, this is Ann S. Ann S. Okay, let's take those two. Matt, please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt from New Jersey. I just wanted to share about somebody who gave me a phone call a, few, a little while ago before the second meeting started. He was looking for a sponsor, and... um. He asked me if I was. I'm not recovered yet. I do have a sponsor of my own, but I did have a, a previous sponsor who I was working with, and he's he's, he's looking for new sponsors. So I gave him uh, the, the the gentleman's number, and uh, so he, hopefully he's going to call that gentleman today and get a sponsor. But uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's the guy's from overseas, and uh, I can't make international phone calls. So I can receive them apparently on my phone, so it's kind of cool to get a phone call from someone overseas like that. And I was able to get a service. So just because I'm not recovered, that doesn't mean I can't be a, a maximum service or useful to someone else. So I just want to point that out. So, so people who are not recovered yet, like myself, who think that they're not helpful to other people, that they can't help do something for someone else, think they, they can if they just if they're willing to look at, you know, where they're at in the program. And that's all I wanted to share with that. I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Um, uh, Ann S., please go ahead. <clears throat> Hi, this is Ann S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater by the Grace of God. Um, thank you for your service, Kathy. And what I wanted to share today is the um, – I I do get calls. I get a lot of calls from people that um, they want to tell me 
they've been in the program, they want to tell me uh, about their sponsor and what their sponsor didn't do for them or, you know, maybe how that sponsor didn't help them. And I always try to, you know, tell them, let them know that the sponsor is not God and we only have one <laughs> um, and it's not us. Um, we need to place our reliance not not on the sponsor. And also, I try to talk about the spiritual malady because for me, the spiritual experience uh, says it all. Um, what I was able to do, how I was able to make amends, amends to my mother who I never thought I would make amends to, um, and how I was able to stand at her grave clear um, with no regrets, and um, how my my experience has um, changed, uh, my personality has changed me, thus changing my relationships. It's just a miracle. And that's, that's what I like to share. Um, thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Anne S. Uh, let's see, we have time for, um, let's see, one or two more shares. Is there anyone Leah else? Jesse B? Leah TD. Oh, Leah TD. Okay, good. And, um, well, let's go with you, Leah. We'll see if we have any time left afterwards. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Thank you. Thank you for serving the meeting. Uh, being of service. My name is Leah T.D. and I'm a um, recovered compulsive overeater. I uh, I came to Overeaters Anonymous when I was 17. I was very excited about OA. I really thought that this would be the solution and I didn't get clean and I didn't get recovered until 12 years later. And so um, I feel like I have these two stories to tell from the people that I meet uh, it's the story of someone who's been in the room for many, many years and didn't recover, um, and uh, someone who recovers through the big book. Uh, so I am. I every time I talk about recovery and compulsive overeating, I want to scream from the, the rooftop. I I am so excited because it took me so long to get to this point, and also. At some point, because of I've experienced all sorts of abuse as a child, and I was convinced at some point in OA that the reason that I am not recovering is because I'm one of those hopeless conditions. You know, my history is not going to allow me to recover. That's what I thought. And so I have, I feel like almost like I have the other uh, slipper that last slipper, I found the solution for me to the. I really want to, you know, and I have to temper myself and I have to watch out to say, okay, hold, hold your horses kind of thing. And so, uh, but um, I mostly get people, people that call me are people that have been around for many years, even 30 years and didn't recover. And they were just not shown the big book solution, the solution that is in the big book. And so, uh, but yeah, I like that it says that we don't brand people. You know, I, I need to step back, let them talk, and just share my my story and my experience and how I recovered. And that's it. The rest is in God's hands and, and you know, whatever level of readiness that they're at. So, anyway, this is a wonderful meeting. I love you all. I'll see you soon, hopefully. Hi, this is Melanie. May I share? Thank you, Leah, TD. Okay, we have two minutes left. Would anybody like to have a two-minute share? May I share? This is Melanie. Sure, Melanie. What's the first initial of your last name? E, like egg. Okay, two minutes. Please go ahead. Okay, just tell me when. <laughs> Hi, this is Melanie E, uh, abstinent member of OA. Um, I am so happy that um, three weeks into New Vision or a month. and We lost you, Melanie. Press star one. 
Oh, okay. I guess that's now my phone. Can you hear me now? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was just saying that I'm. I was sold when I came to a vision. I'm not recovered from the isms, but I got abstinent early on. But um, I am in a state where there's a lot of recovery. But as a disabled person and a shut-in person uh, through this disease and my disability, it's been hard to get to face-to-face meetings, almost impossible. So that when I discovered three weeks ago or three and a half weeks ago a vision for you, that maybe there was an opportunity for me to really recover from this illness. I'm interested in speaking to people who know what it is to be abstinent, but have the the bedevilments of this disease, misery, depression, unemployable, still resentment, all the isms, the codependency, the people-pleasing. Very early on when I got abstinent with my first sponsor, I had a realization with a two-edged sword. Um, One that I said to her, I don't think abstinence is recovery. And I saw the pieces of my life all on the floor. And I realized that I needed to stay out of relationships and that it was going to be a very long road for me, which it has been. So I'm looking for a sponsor. Um, I would love yeah, we're going to mention sponsors right now. So Great, thank, thank you. Okay, thank you for your share, Melanie. Okay, um, it's now time to close the meeting. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And thank you, especially Sherry KB, Lindsay B, Amanda R, and Gina R., and we will close uh, with a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only on page 164. Gina R., could you please read that for us? Gina, press star one. Sorry, I thought I was ready. Queued up. Thank you. Our book I is can meant read to it. be suggestive oh, only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. 